You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. But we also want to say that our vision is more than just the Sunday morning service. Like Jesse said, the scripture says, go and make disciples. Isn't that a crazy thought? Jesus commands us to make disciples, and yet the one thing in church that we rarely do is actually disciple. We do a lot of talking, a lot of singing, a lot of preaching, a lot of coffee drinking. Um, But when it comes down to really being discipled, really uh, becoming a disciple, that's one of the things that we rarely talk about or we just throw a program at it. Uh, Here at City Lights, we have recently been really reconstructing our philosophy around what discipleship looks like because church is more than just showing up on a Sunday. How many people really want to grow in their walk with Christ that they can look back a year from now and say, I was here and now I'm there. I was here and now I'm there. Not just something that's just kind of, you ever play Bible roulette? Maybe you played that when you were younger. Bible roulette is when you don't know what's going on. You know, you need a word from God. So you grab your Bible, you throw it against the wall, pick it up, and then hope God speaks to you. All right. I know all of you have. All right. We, we want to graduate beyond Bible roulette. We want to be able to move forward and really um, develop in what God is doing. And we've been really uh, just focusing on what that looks like philosophically, that we don't just throw out, hey, this is discipleship because Jesus tells us to do it. We really want to see people get discipled. I know I want to be discipled. I can honestly say what I've grown in my life has not even just been from attending conferences or listening to worship CDs, but has been one-on-one interaction with people that are challenging me and helping me discover the gift and call of God on my life. I ask questions like crazy. Let me encourage you this. Uh, In this next season, as we continue to talk about discipleship and as it really begins to become a forefront in our church, there's no dumb question. There's no dumb question. Especially uh, in Christianity, there's nothing that you can ask or question that's dumb. Now, there's a difference between unbelief, which is just simply you're dumb and you just want to question everything. I'm sorry for cutting right to the chase. The other aspect, though, is that there's nothing, there's nothing bad about it. There's no dumb question. There's something in you that can question everything to the point where, as C.S. Lewis says, seeing through things, the point of seeing through things is so that sometime you'll come to something that you no longer have to see through. So questioning is to see through, to see substance. There's another dimension where, though, we question to the point where there's nothing left and we just question everything, and at the end of it, you have nothing firm to hold on to. But I want to encourage you that Christianity, the way that you grow is by questions, not by just taking the pill and swallowing it and saying, okay, I show up at church, but really looking at things and saying, God, what are you saying here? How can I learn? Proverbs chapter 25 says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. In the scripture, God speaks to us and through parables, which are absolutely incredible. Because we would think this, you know, if God really wants me to know who he is, then he'll just make it really plain and simple so that everybody understands. Wouldn't you think so? I, my personal vote, remember the, the Super Bowl show with, um, what's her name? Uh, Jan Jackson. Anybody remember that? Who can't forget that? Okay. Personally, if I was God and I wanted to reveal myself to the world, I would have just knocked off the Backstreet Boys, covered her up, and I would have just said, hey, I'm king of kings. I think people would have been like, agreed. See, God, God doesn't, though, his, his goal is not to get attention. His, his goal is not to get attention because when he speaks in par- parables, it's actually to conceal things for people that desire to know. We have this idea that, well, God just desperately needs attention. The truth is he really doesn't. He's God. To actually say that God needs our attention or even needs our affection, I'm talking about a need, not desire, but a need would to say that God has something lacking in who he is and needs us to fill it. 
See, God doesn't need our affection. God doesn't need our worship. In fact, as we'll see today, God shares himself with us because we need it. Um, interestingly enough, in this area, which most of us have an understanding of, there's tons of coal mines surrounding here. Uh, they did strip mining, uh, which everybody had clothes on during that, in case you were wondering. But strip mining was when they would go under the house, and they'd actually, or under different areas, and take out while the land would remain sane. It would, everything's fine. It's right there. But they begin to take out. And this area is absolutely famous for the coal industry. In, in fact, Scranton at one time in the 19, 1930s and 1940s had over 140,000 people in this city. Today, there's 70,000 people. I can't even fathom that, how that this same geographical location had twice the amount of people. Now, today, though, because of all the mining, maybe you'll go up to Wegmans on Route 6, and you'll notice that there's an old beat Walmart. Who's ever seen the old beat Walmart there? And you wonder, what was that about? They didn't adhere to building codes. They tried to sneak around it, and rocks started pouring down off the mountain and crashing into Walmart. Now, that's exciting. Because they didn't adhere to building codes. Now, in this area, because of the coal mining, there's a thing called red ash. And if you have red ash on your property that you're desiring to develop, it's bad news. I know a guy who had red ash on his property just a small bit. And because of that, they had to get a massive weight, which I'm not even going to We'll just make up a number. 9,000 tons. I'm kidding. But it was huge. All right. This massive weight. And they had to pull it up on a crane and drop it down onto this land over and over and over just to be able to pass the inspection so that they could give them the clearance to build. Just so they can give the clearance to build. Now, that's a really bad day, and that's expensive because let me just let you know in case that ever happens, that's not volunteer work. You can't get people with cranes dropping weights for free. It's a huge, huge expense. All because the land isn't ready to bear the weight of the foundation of the building. See, Jesus speaks to us in Matthew chapter 7, a parable that many of us may be familiar with, but I want you to look at it from a different light. Jesus speaks to us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. He says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice builds his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against it, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And what Jesus is talking about here is he's contrasting two different types of paradigms or two different types of ideologies in life. One is something that's built on rock. The other is built on sand. Now, interestingly enough, if you have red ash on your property, you probably wouldn't know it until they came to...
But if I saw a guy that was sitting on a throne with, you know, I, I just couldn't go there. Anyways, sorry, that wasn't supposed to be disrespectful. I'm just saying I couldn't do the whole rub the head thing. Christianity offers us a solid, solid ground to build our lives on. When asking the questions, why are we here? What is life about? Like I said, everything in the created order has an environment, including you. Everything has an environment. It's not a, it's not a matter of preference. It's not a matter of I'm a fish that likes, I happen to like land. Try it out for a while. It doesn't work. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says this. God created us for his glory. God created you for his glory. The environment that you were created for was the glory of God. As Augustine said, your hearts will be restless until you rest in him. The environment that we were created for was to know God and to fellowship with him. To know God and fellowship with him. The Westminster Catechism says, what is this? What is the chief end of man? What's the end of this whole thing? To know God and enjoy him forever. The environment that you were created for, as a fish to water, as a worm that can't see to dirt, as a bird to air, you were created to know and enjoy God. God's most glorified when you're most satisfied in him. But listen, you're most satisfied when God's most glorified in you. The very thing you're created for is to know him and to enjoy him. I'm not talking about in, you were made for a church service. Don't worry, you were made to enjoy God everywhere you go bringing glory to him. And until you find that, you will be restless, absolutely restless. And I'm going to close with this and just two more thoughts. There's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's really worth reading. Um, it's a, just a, a good little book on financing, on the, the ways that wealthy people think compared to um, poor or poor people with money. And it's really, really good short book that's worth reading. Basic financing. This concept in the book, Robert Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki Toyota. Um, well, I can't remember his name right now. I went there. I did. Whatever he wrote. All right. Now, it's a fantastic book. Don't worry. You don't have to pronounce his book to, to be able to do it. But he, he talks about this thing that people are in what he calls the rat race. And the rat race is essentially people that live to work and work to live over and over and over and over. And we can all, maybe you're in it right now or maybe you've seen it. You're, you're, you wake up in the morning, you live to work and work to live, and you don't work for money, you know, it controls you. It's not something that you have money and you live what you dream, but it's, you're stuck in this rat race and you pay one bill and you climb up and the next thing you know you get slapped by another bill. Come on, we all know what the rat race is. And he gives some incredible sound financial wisdom on how to escape the rat race how to begin to develop a plan that you are no longer in the rat race, that you can finally live your dreams, that you can be free and fulfilled and satisfied. The only problem with that book is this. Money doesn't answer everything. The moment that you're delivered from one rat race, you're delivered into the next. You finish one race, they give you the ticket for the next. The moment that you're delivered from the rat race of money, now here's your ticket for success. Once you've been successful, now it's how can I fill this void in me with relationships? How many people can share in the success? Do you know that you were created for something more than just yourself? That's why people listen to obnoxiously loud music with the windows down when they're on their own. You ever think about that? 
You're driving down some You look at it, you're looking for hearing aids. You're like, no, he hears okay. He should. And then you're like, you were made for more. He's like, who, what? I can't hear you. you. Why? Because you listen to loud music with the windows down because you want somebody to notice you. You don't listen to loud music on your own. It hurts your ears. Truth. You don't sit in your bedroom with loud music. You want somebody. When no, go to a field when no one's around and listen to loud music. Why? Because you're going, somebody hear this? Huh? Where are you No, you, you want somebody to join in with you. So join him with you. See, the moment that you're delivered from one rat race, and I, I'm not bashing his book because I think it's, it's got some really nice thoughts, but I'm simply saying this, is that our culture puts money at the forefront that says, listen, if you can escape the rat race, then you'll be satisfied, you'll be fulfilled. But the truth is, the moment that you get delivered from one, you get a stamp for another one. You go, now here's your success one. How fast can you climb the corporate ladder? Once you get that one, what better job can you get? What better relation? And you're constantly in this rat race. And the truth is, nothing satisfies in that because that wasn't the environment you were created for. You were created to know God and enjoy him forever. And we'll close with this. Every crave, every crave on the other side of it has something that will fulfill it. When you are tired, you crave sleep. When you're hungry, you crave food. Everything in you that has a crave always has a counterpart that satisfies. There's nothing that you can look at in your life that craves. When you're lonely, you, you, you crave a relationship. Everything that's in you, when there's a crave, there's something that satisfies it. Yet in us, there's a crave that's absolutely unsatiable. Nothing can satisfy it. And people spend their lives busy. It's amazing. We crave success, even though uh, you stand in line at the grocery store and you see magazines of how terrible their lives are. I want to be a superstar. So you can be on a magazine and, really? You, you, you see people that are constantly bankrupt. I want to be in the NFL, even though most of them are bankrupt in less than three years. It's overwhelming. I want to win the lottery. You know that when you, the larger sum you win in the lottery, the better chance you have to be bankrupt? That's a fact. If I could just have, if I could just, there's this constant crave in us that just needs a little something more. And the truth is, because we are a fish out of water craving what we were made for, you were made to know God, enjoy Him forever, and to be satisfied by His presence alone. All of those other things are great. All of them are fine. Success, money, relationships, all of that's fine. But when we make that our aim or our goal, we'll be happily disappointed. Because it's not the environment you're created for. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough friends. You'll never have enough sex. You'll never have enough drugs. You'll never have enough alcohol. You'll never have enough of whatever you're craving because you are made for another world. I said, when we hear about truth and we hear these scriptures that Paul's saying, rebuke them sharply, share truth. It's so aggressive. How do we do that in our culture today? That's a real question. There's church, certain churches that advocate, and I'm not, I don't have names to list you know, in case you're, you know, want to go talk with them. I'm not really asking that you do that. But there's certain churches that advocate walking up to people and saying, uh, you're going to hell right away. The other week we were doing an outreach, and uh, like we were pulling up our sign. Honest to God, we got out of the truck. By the time we had the sign up, there's two, this really nice dressed guy who comes up. He's like, I just want to inform you that you're going to hell. I was like, wow, I appreciate that. Can you help me with my sign? 
No, I didn't say that. But he's just, I just want to inform you that you're, you're going to be spending eternity in hell, and I really don't want you to do that. I was like, thank you. Um, oh, wow. I was like, you know, do you believe in the Blessed Virgin Mary? I said, I do. He's like, you do? <laughs> yeah. We, how many people know we all believe in the Virgin Mary for a Christian? Okay, you're thinking, is he Catholic? No, we're, that's where Jesus came from. Some churches advocate this aggressive turn or burn. You see it on the signs as you pass the church. You think it's hot out here? Question mark. That always, I was like, really? It's like, here's truth. You change or else. You change or else. How, as Christians, how do we really share truth? I think we all are like, wonder how we share truth. I think we share truth by sharing that people are searching for their ultimate satisfaction. Listen, your choice and people's choice that you share the gospel with is not heaven or hell. It's Jesus or yourself. That's it. It's not, it's not heaven or hell. Which, which one are you going to? It's do you choose Jesus who brings you ultimate satisfaction and joy and pleasure and hope and peace? Or do you choose yourself which will spend your days running silly and never being satisfied? You know, the truth is, I wouldn't want heaven if Jesus wasn't there. I really wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want it. Honest to God. Because heaven to me is not an eternal bonfire with family reunion. Can't wait to get to heaven. We'll sit around Roba's farm, toast some marshmallows. I burn them every time. That's not really fun for eternity. What do you do today? I burn a marshmallow, I play a harp, and I'm stuck in a toga on a cloud. No, I, I'll pass. Sorry. You, you like that stuff? Keep your clothes on. All right? Listen, it's not, it's not heaven or hell. It's Jesus. It's Jesus or yourself. See, people that are in hell choose to be there. Not Listen, not because... Not be, they, they, it's because they're choosing themselves. They found out their own Savior, their own identity, their own righteousness. And C.S. Lewis, I know I quote him a lot, and you're thinking, what does he keep quoting him? Because I'm trying to tell you, read him, okay? Because he's really worth reading. He's like, man, he quotes him all the time. It's worth reading. He talks about, as people in our hell, and he's got some interesting things there. I'm not necessarily saying that I would go full tilt with what he says, but he talks about when people are in hell, they're choosing to be there and ignorant of anything else. They're so satisfied. We have this concept that God's throwing people in hell or taking them to heaven. I don't think it's necessarily that as much as people are saying, I'd rather save myself, be my own righteousness, be my own savior, be my own God. I like success. I like sex. I like this. Whatever it is to the point where they would rather say, I'm fine just the way that I am and nothing will change them. Christianity offers a solid rock. This morning, if you don't know Christ as your savior, Christ as your treasure, Christ as your value, don't let subjectivity, don't let tragedy define your belief. Because it will strike. Every single one of us has tragedy. Every single one of us. Nobody's immune to it. Don't let it, the next time something happens, some bird flies by and you put your hope in that. Put your hope in the truth of the scripture, something that's not subjective, but it's anchored to our soul. We have the opportunity to do that this morning. When I said this, when we interact with culture, we're not turn or burn, we're simply, simply offering living water, inviting them to be satisfied because everyone's craving. Can we pray this morning? As we pray, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've grown up around Christian culture or you're investigating Christian culture, 
and you're trying to figure out what, what this whole thing is about. And it's maybe if I asked you about a litmus test and said, you know, hey, this is, do you believe in A, B, and C? And do you believe that Jesus was God? He died for your sins. Do you believe that he's coming again? Do you believe that? And maybe you'd be able to check all those boxes off, but the truth is you're absolutely far away. And on the surface, there's a building that looks really nice and pretty, but in the depths, the moment tragedy strikes or the moment that you let the weight of the gospel press down, you begin to see the cracks in the foundation. I want to call you to truth this morning. I want to call you to the scripture. I want to call you to the center, to the gospel, that Christ redeems you by his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. The scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This morning we have hope, not because we have to define truth. Think about it. If everybody defines truth, there's no truth except that which is defined. And how do we know that the truth you defined is true? There has to be something objective and real. This morning, my cry, my prayer is that you would place faith in Christ, not faith in a book, faith in Jesus, the God of the book. Let's pray. Lord, our highest prayer this morning is that people would come to know you and come to give you glory. Lord, everyone in this room this morning was created. The environment they were created for was to bring you praise. And everything that you search for, everything that you seek, until you find him, you will be restless. Lord, I pray that those that are interested in finding Christ, this morning, you're here. In the truth of your word, and we can place faith in you. That you justify us, you forgive our sins, We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.